It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Zero Mostel episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest star, Ben Lieber. Yay! We're not doing Yay! it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this week we could do it. Yay! <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us into season two. I'm David Levy, and here today with me are Michal Richardson, Adam Grossworth, Christy Bauer. And as I mentioned before, we are thrilled to welcome to the show Ben Liebert. Hey, Ben. Hi, y'all. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Ben Liebert is an actor, director, puppeteer, and video editor based in New York City. He was in the recent revival of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish as Model the Tailor, and he played Bach on Broadway in Wicked. He spent much of the pandemic directing and editing virtual shows, including Cam and Ben Sing Songs, a video series for kids and families which he co-writes and puppeteers. Ben is also the most handsome guest that has been on Muppeturgy, which I, David Levy, am not being forced to say by reading this script. Ben, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, David, for saying that that very kind thing about my looks. It's it's terribly true. Uh, so the Muppets. Um, so when I was born, uh, my brother, who was four years older than me um, at the time, he would not answer to his name, but only would answer if he was referred to as uh, Fozzie Bear. So that will tell you uh, what kind of Muppet household uh, I grew up in. I mean, the first CDs I ever bought that the family bought were the Muppet Hits from uh, 1993, as well as um, the Vanilla Ice debut album, To the Extreme. And uh, we were allowed to keep one of those CDs. The other one was promptly thrown out. And then in third grade, I asked my mother and grandmother to teach me how to sew so I could build puppets because I just wanted to have my own. And I mean, y'all talk on this show about the, you know, the season one Cleveland Muppets. And I was making like the Piscataway bus station Muppets. Like they were, <laughs> <laughs> they they were rough, but you know, I got to, and I, I had my own Miss Piggy. I had someone called the Gonzo impersonator. Like I had a bunch of really sad knockoff Muppets, but I loved them and I got to build and, you know, I did a lot of wacky, sad puppetry. I also had lots of friends. <laughs> <laughs> so One I've of just, those things you, is true. Yes. I mean, the puppets could be your friends. That's fine. That's what I also said to my therapist. It's fine. You you made friends. I did. Oh god. <laughs> um, so so I've always been a uh, pretty uber Muppet fan. Certainly the older stuff more so than the new stuff, but I still give the new stuff a try. I feel like my my life was was shaped by Mel Brooks, the Marx Brothers, and the Muppets. All right. Well, Ben, we're so glad you're with us and uh, look forward to what you have to say about today's show. Before we get there, though, Adam, I understand we have some corrections and or additions. It's a it's a quick addition. Uh, last week, we talked at length about the new opening sequence, uh, and I went looking for some behind-the-scenes photos of that and found some great ones in the book of Muppets and Men, which is sadly out of print. But uh, f- fortunately for us, um, I have a copy uh, from back in the day, and there are some pictures in last week's show notes, the Don Knotts show notes. Um, and I just uh, wanted to note, because we talked about it in season one, that there's a picture and a caption uh, of Dave Goles wearing shoes with lifts because apparently he was short. So um, while I do want to blame the patriarchy and misogyny for a lot of things, um, including the way um, women puppeteers were treated and how few of them there were on The Muppet Show, it was not just misogyny that had Fran Brill in those boots. It was just general shortness because Dave Goals also had to wear them. So, yeah, I just thought that was a neat little tidbit. And you should look at those photos because they're really cool. 
So tonight we are talking about season two, episode two of The Muppet Show. This was taped the week of May 31st, 1977. It aired in the UK on March 5th, 1978, and in New York, December 12th, 1977. So once again, this aired uh, much later in the run. This was the 13th episode aired in New York. This was followed on CBS by A Charlie Brown Christmas at eight and by our favorite Maud at nine. And over on ABC at eight o'clock was a show called San Pedro Beach Bums. Uh, this was a show about five carefree young men who have been friends since high school and find a derelict boat in the harbor of San Pedro, California. They name it Our Boat and decide to move abroad and use it uh, both as their houseboat and as the headquarters for an erstwhile fishing business. It started as a TV movie in May, aired seven episodes in September and October, and then went off the air for a while, which is why it didn't come up last week, and then it came back with a Thanksgiving special. And then this week's episode was a crossover called Love Boat Bums. Bums take a cruise. I was like, why are you telling us about this? Now I get it. (laughs) Great question. Because... It is relevant to our interest because it, uh, among its stars, the, the titular bums, uh, were Christopher Murney, who is the father of Julia Murney, and uh, Julia Murney is a Broadway star and my personal favorite Florence in chess. So that's interesting to at least two people here. And more importantly, uh, one of the bums was Stuart Penkin, who would go on to be the voice of Earl on Dinosaurs. So I pulled out a rabbit hole of what the hell is this show, <laughs> and then wow. decided it was relevant to our podcast. So... Now you all know about it, too. Can we start a band called the Titular Bums? Yes. <laughs> yes, we now, can. Now I'm just imagining a universe in which we have to contend with the San Pedro Beach Boat Bums, like, cinematic universe, like, all of the spinoffs and the, like, in which it was a giant hit. There was a character named Wojcik who was replaced after the pilot. So I assume he was a child, but I didn't actually look, look any further to find out. Or he was Jewish. And they didn't test well. I mean, or or both. Yeah. Good heavens. Yeah. Anyway, San Pedro Beach Bums, y'all. Uh, it's not streaming anywhere. You'll be shocked to learn. Wow. What a loss. I know in, in uh, the first season, we learned a whole lot about what was going on in the culture in 1976. 1977 is shaping up to be quite a year already. Bums galore. Speaking of bums. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Most actors would be thrilled to create one indelible character. By my count, Zero Mustel created three. Pseudalus and A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Tevya in A Fiddler on the Roof, and Max Bialystok in The Producers. Born Samuel Joel Mustel in 1915 in Brooklyn, he was the seventh of eight children, but acquired the nickname Zero from his mother, who took one look at his mediocre grades and told him that's all he would amount to in life. Zero. Joke's on her, though, because Zero showed early aptitude in his chosen art. Painting. Yes, like Kay Ballard, Zero first pursued a career as a serious painter, teaching art on the side. It was while giving art talks that he discovered he enjoyed entertaining an audience, and by 1942, he not only had a club act, he also made his Broadway debut in the comedy Café Crowd. The following year, he made his screen debut with a small part in the MGM musical DuBarry Was a Lady. He served in World War II, and on his return, he picked up his acting career, performing on both stage and screen in comedies and dramas. While performing at Radio City Music Hall, he met and fell in love with a rockette named Kate Harkin, who would become his wife. This caused a rift with his parents, who were scandalized that Zero's wife was not Jewish. 
According to Wikipedia, Zero's mother refused to ever meet Zero's wife or her grandchildren. And speaking of those children, there were two of them, one of whom you might know as the actor Josh Mostel, who is most familiar to me as King Herod in the feature film version of Jesus Christ Superstar. His brother Tobias also followed in Zero's footsteps, becoming a painter and an art professor. When the 1950s brought a new wave of the Red Scare, Zero refused to testify before the House and American Affairs Committee and found himself on the blacklist. While that put a halt to his film career, Broadway didn't blacklist, and Zero found new levels of success, winning an Obie Award in 1958 for the play Ulysses in Bloomtown and a Tony Award in 1961 for Ionesco's Rhinoceros. The following year, he won his second Tony for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, where he introduced the song Comedy Tonight that you might remember from the Joel Grey episode of The Muppet Show. Two years later, he created the role of Tevian Fiddler on the Roof, winning a third Tony and cementing his place in the musical theater pantheon. These successes reopened the doors to Hollywood for Mustel, first with the film version of Forum in 1966. His best-remembered film is Mel Brooks's The Producers in 1968, where he played domineering, scheming producer Max Bialystok opposite nervous, nerdy Leo Bloom, played by Gene Wilder. The pair would become close friends and re-team for the film adaptation of Rhinoceros, as well as a series of cartoons for The Electric Company. The Muppet Show was Zero's last professional appearance, taped in early summer 1977. His next gig was a play called The Merchant, but Zero died while the show was in rehearsals, before his episode of The Muppet Show aired, making him The Muppet Show's first and only posthumous guest star. So that's Zero Mustel. Uh, does anyone have any Zero Mustel stories or memories they want to share? Just that Merchant sounds like a fake play from the producers. <laughs> it, like it, it sounds a, like it. It's a takeoff on the Merchant of Venice. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it should have an exclamation point and would be a musical version of the Merchant of Venice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he was doing Fiddler, I heard a story from two different sides. At the end of the show, Tevye saying goodbye to his daughters and whatever, and um. Austin Pendleton, who played Muttel, was always so uh, enthralled and enraptured by uh, Zero's performance and how serious he took and how amazing he was in that final scene. And Joanna Merlin, who played Seidel, hated him because every night he'd come and kiss her goodbye and say something awful and raunchy in her ear. And it's just (laughs) because he was just a card and didn't like to do things different at the same times. But it's just amazing how two people could have such varying opinions of the same exact moment. He had a reputation for starting out really, really committed to a show and then getting not necessarily sloppy, but uh, sort of getting bored with it and trying to work in his like burlesque tendencies, which in something like Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum works with the character and something like Fiddler on the Roof when everyone's sad because Anna Tefka is disbanding and then he starts reading off the, the ballgame scores or telling dirty jokes uh, did not necessarily endear him to all of his fellow company members. And in fact, uh, I read that some of the directors that he worked with tried to sign him for a shorter than typical contract when they could because they knew if he stuck around too long, that would happen and it would affect the rest of the show. I did not encounter any stories about his behavior on The Muppet Show. I think people pretty much enjoyed working with him there. Yeah, he seemed to fit right in. Do we know if he was ill during the taping of this? So towards the end of his life, he lost a lot of weight, which he claimed he was doing for his health, but people around him said he was basically starving himself. Uh, And he definitely had some mobility issues. I think he was using a cane to get around at that time. So I don't know that he was like deathbed ill, but 
he uh, certainly was not in the best of health at this time. And I think especially if you're watching this in HD, you can kind of see it on the face. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to be a dick about it. But like, there's a couple of yeah. scenes where he's in close-up where I actually sort of found him uncomfortable to watch just because he doesn't look well. And we can get into that when we get to those yeah. scenes. Or, or not, because I don't, like, it doesn't really feel appropriate to comment on. But it, 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 it made things that were funny not feel funny to me. And it's also hard because part of his shtick was also being sort of like, like a sweaty, gross character sometimes. Like, that's part of what made Max Bialystok Max Bialystok. So it's hard to know sometimes what's him not looking well and what's him playing a gross character. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't that. <laughs> but anyway. He's still got those kicks, though. He's not having any mobility issues. Totally. He went to the simple folk, too. Totally. Yeah. Well, on that note, we can get into it. Ben, please tell us what you thought of this episode. Well, I I know you talked about it last week, but holy crap. I'm so happy we're in season two. Um, I had a lot of doubt. I was sort of existentially questioning my childhood um, watching season one because I was uh, it was not the Muppet show that I'd remembered. And now that we're into season two, the show is it's faster. It's funnier. They, They play to the camera. The backstage plots work. And and I don't know if it's just with the the Disney Plus transfer, but everything is just brighter. The colors are all more vibrant, and things are the the framing, all the the uh, puppets are closer to the camera. It just it just works so much better. Um, and it was such a and and a lot of puppets were redesigned. You got the new intro, like it just it it is so much tighter of a show, which lets it be way more intentionally ragtag and messy. Um, because it it doesn't seem like they've just made a mistake, which I was really grateful for. Um, and this episode, I think Zero is incredible. It's like he walked in and he saw a bunch of puppets that looked like him, and he said, "Okay, I'm home," you know, and just became a monster. Like he knows what show he's in. And the 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 biggest thing that I love is so many of the guest stars are either very sentimental about their relationship to the Muppets or they pretend they've got these long, lovely backstories. He is just, he's, he manhandles them. He's a clown. He makes fun, like the scene he has with Sam, the Eagle, he makes fun of him and it is pretty brilliant. I mean, there are some things that are a little uneven to me, but it seems like he belongs in this world so much and it is a delight. Michal. Yeah. All of that, (laughs) everything that you just said, zero Mustel is down to clown and i it's not just that he's dedicated to the bits that he's in and the characters that he's playing he's dedicated to just being weird and unexpected and i don't know if all the times that he tried to kill sam in this episode were scripted or if he just <laughs> decided to launch himself at sam in the closing of the episode and try to literally eat his face i it's it is an uh, unforgettable turn for zero mustel the bit that I wasn't wild about was the backstage plot, but I agree that now that we're in season two, everything is hanging together and is zippier, is fun to look at. It doesn't drag in a way that we had kind of gotten accustomed to in a couple of slumps in season one. So we're we're sprinting along now. Christy, how about you? Gosh, uh, I, I don't disagree with anything that Ben and Rehal have said, but I, I'm also glad that we 
talked about where he was in his life because context is everything. And knowing now that this came out posthumously sort of informs my gut reaction. I definitely, and again, maybe it is the HD-ness of the transfer, but like, I, I think you can tell that he wasn't doing well. And it it, it stresses me out. <laughs> but, and, and it's partially knowing Zero Mostella as a performer and knowing that like, you know, he's always giving it a thousand percent and playing to the balcony. But I mean, that said, you know, he, he does fit in seamlessly. There's a lot of really delightful moments or a lot of really good laughs. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a good episode. It's just, it, it worries me. <laughs> <laughs> David. Yeah. I like this episode a lot. I think that I maybe am grading season two so far on a curve because like I watched this the first time I was like, Oh yeah, man, this was great. I was so into it. <laughs> he said that to Adam. He's like, really? And so I watched it again. I was like, Oh, I mean, I still like it, but there's, there's stuff that's that drags and stuff that I probably would be a little bit more down on if they appeared in a season one episode, but because, because context is everything. And because uh, I do like the way that it's better integrated into the story and that he actually feels like he's, on the Muppet show and not just guessing in a couple of sketches like it, that excuses some of the weaknesses for me. So I liked it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be one of my favorite episodes of season two, but I'm glad I watched it and I had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't hate it. Like it's fine. I'm not mad. <laughs> I, like, I'm not mad at it, but yeah, I don't, I don't really like this episode and I guess I'll just leave it there. I, my favorite thing in this episode is the UK spot. And I think that's very telling. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also an unusual UK spot, so we can get into that. It just, it doesn't really work for me. And I think, like, especially, like, as a musical theater fan, I think it's a, it's kind of a waste of Zero Mostel, and and I'm bummed about that, because I would have liked, like, there's not that much of him on film, and I just, I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have enjoyed him more. (laughs) I guess that's what I'm saying. And that's not his fault. That's just a bummer for me. 25 seconds, stand by. So as we open our episode, Scooter is told that Zero is in his dressing room eating. He quickly finds out that Zero is not in his dressing room eating. He is being eaten by Behemoth, and he's frantically attempting to fend off this attack by shoving everything he can find into Behemoth's mouth, including a glass of water, which seems very bold for them to script to pour water onto a Muppet. Uh, But good for them. Anything from our yay correspondent? Uh, it's it's not there's no yay this week uh but i something is wrong with jim hansen let's just hear the clip thank you thank you good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the muppet show tonight's special guest star has many many talents let's see he acts he sings he dances he does comedy and they all add up to a great big zero for zero mustel is kermit going through puberty i mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe but then actually like kermit sounded weird to me throughout the episode like in a in a what happens when they get a new puppeteer to do kermit and everyone talks about it on twitter yeah Wait, there's a so, moment where his voice is off uh when the band is coming off stage later so yeah i mean i i have to just assume that he had a cold or something but that was super weird or he was trying really hard to like hype himself into the kermit voice and he had a cold <laughs> that's what happened I mean, here we are worrying about Zero Mostel. Will nobody worry about Kermit the Frog? I guess not. In this season, we, we do not have the audience asking, why don't you get things started? We have Statler and Waldorf instead. Oh, please let them be funny this once. 
yeah, well, we'll figure out whether their prayers are answered. <laughs> and Gonzo's bugle or trumpet, whichever it is, uh, goes off like a firecracker and fires sparks everywhere. I realized the reason there's debate about what he's playing is that the way he's holding it, you can't tell if there are valves under his fingers or not. So I don't know that we'll ever get the answer unless in one of the future gags, he's gripping the instrument in a different way. Well, in my Palisades action figure, <laughs> there are no valves. So that, that points to Bugle. Yeah, or it points they needed to fit it into his hand in a way that would snap nicely into his hand. Fair. Listeners, we'll, we'll keep you informed. <laughs> As we unearth more of our toys. Yeah, I'm up at Joe backstage. Okay, friends, we're going to try to figure out what's going on with this wrestling thing. <laughs> Uh, 1977 was 44 years ago. I don't understand why the plot of this episode seems to be everybody is ashamed when ladies do a sport, but that seems to be the plot. Let's get into it. Kermit has an empty cash box. It's payday, uh, but Scooter's uncle offers to help if Kermit will put some good old-fashioned entertainment back into the show. Uh, If what? If you put some good old-fashioned entertainment back into the show. Oh, yeah, you mean like an Irish tenor? No. A dog act? A jugglers? Spoon players? What? Lady wrestlers. <laughs> Terrific. I was afraid he wanted something tasteless. There was something I loved in this scene, which was when Scooter was on the phone with his uncle, Kermit scrunched his face up to the side and kind of tilted slightly, like really actively trying to listen to the other side of the phone. And I, I loved it. If we're keeping track of uh, why there are different content warnings on the show, uh, Scooter's uncle is smoking a cigar that is so powerful, smoke comes out through the phone. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And this gets us a tobacco warning. I just realized as you were saying that, that in my head, um, and this is terrible, uh, Scooter's uncle is Scott Rudin. (laughs) And that's not okay. But I needed to share that with all of you so that we can be not okay together. Well, that makes me defend the lady wrestlers plot, uh, in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Well, I mean, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying, Michal, but I, I, it feels to me like it's all built on that one, that one turn of the joke of like, it's something classy and instead it's wrestling. Um, and he's a creep. So therefore it's, it's watching women wrestle. I, I don't know if it's so much that, that it's haha women are funny because they do sports. I think it's more that, or at least I heard it as it's just something super low class and, and he's willing to give money for something low class. Cause, cause JP gross is well gross. Also remember that like wrestling in this context is not wrestling the sport. It's wrestling the kayfabe circus like entertainment. So like the sexy kind is. Yeah. Like, like, the, like the WWE or right. low kind, right? Like, right, like but it's I a do, sideshow attraction. It's not an athletic competition. It's not a thing you would find on the legitimate stage. Right. I wouldn't choose to put it on the Muppet show either necessarily. Just the way that people react to it. Sam freaks out. Piggy chases Kermit back and forth across the stage several times, which is delightful to watch. Um, but it's all because everybody just can't believe that anybody would utter the words lady wrestlers. Yeah. I do think that there's, I, I agree with you, Mikhail. I think that there's, I, I think if it were just wrestling, like there's, 
the part of the joke is the term lady wrestling, right? For whatever reason, that's quote unquote funnier. Yeah, I guess they decided that term is provocative. Whether it's that it's more provocative or that it's misogynistic or that it's just that it's funnier to put an adjective on it, I don't. I don't know. Like, right, but it could have been mud wrestling. Mud, I was about to say mud wrestling or jello wrestling. I mean, jello wrestling mm-hmm. is inherently funny. But also, like, women jello wrestle. Men, I mean, I'm sure in some gay bars, but, like, generally speaking, men don't, like, right? I, Wait, jello wrestling is gendered? I had no idea. It, well, I'm saying. So, like, that's why, like, all of the things that make it, all the modifiers that make it funnier are gendered, right? It's, so, it like, seems to have the same air of panic as, like, like, oh, a man in a dress, a lady who wrestles. Like, it feels like that. Oh, whereas I read it more as like, it was more like, are you going to have exotic dancers? You know, like, it's it's not that there's something like inherently titillating about it. When Glow was on Netflix, Jezebel did a pretty good like cultural history of women wrestling in the United States prior to the 70s. Uh, so we'll put that article in the show notes and uh, everyone can read that and sort of judge for themselves where this fits within that history. So it seems like everyone has a problem with it. We just have different problems. Right. We, we all it. agree and it's misogynistic. We're just not entirely sure why. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. All on the same go. page. Yeah. We can, we uh, can all agree that the Muppets are horrified by it. And that the Muppets, or at least the writers of the Muppets have a lady problem. Well, yeah. So the whole, the whole reason that this lady wrestling nonsense is happening is um, that Kermit, uh, that Floyd reminds Kermit that it's payday and he can't make payday. So he has to go to Scooter's uncle for help. And this, uh, we've talked about Kermit being a bad producer before, but this is, um, this is how this all plays out. Yeah. Don't forget today is payday. Ah, payday. Payday. Payday again. It was payday last year. Seems beginning to be a habit around here. Well, I'll see what's in the old cash box here. Three moths and a washer. Well, that's more than we usually have. Oh, where am I going to get the payroll money? Oh, how much do you need, Kermit? Oh, Scooter, $27.14. Wow, that's high finance. Okay. All right, math us. So I'm just going to assume that the payday was last year was a joke. Um, <laughs> that's that's not a lot of money. Um, <laughs> in In... $2021 $20, that is $122.27. So like there's even adjusted for inflation that makes no sense. Then I went slightly insane and um I just like started to try to count and like even just accounting for the people on stage which would be Zero Mostel and the the Queen puppet and the band and Ralph and Bunsen and Beaker. And I don't think I'm like it's a, it's a it's a weirdly small episode this week. Um like at minimum he's got 10 or 12 people to pay this week. So that's in today's dollars, $12 per person. Like this is not okay. (laughs) I don't approve of any of this. It made me really upset. And then that audience shot for the first time ever, I thought how many seats are in this theater? Because not very many, like it's really shallow. So I I actually don't know how any of this works and I hate that I'm thinking about it. But once again, now that I am, you all have to do. Well, I wonder, because in the Steve Martin episode, we get to see the house lit up and there are clearly many more seats, but I wonder if, you know, are they putting up, you know, some blacks or whatever to, to decrease the size of the house so they can, you know, lower the minimum salary? Oh, it's an off-Broadway contract situation. Yeah. 
I like I think that they have contracts. <laughs> I mean, right. I think we clearly established this is not a union house, but I, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I don't know, but no, I'm just thinking like, what, what, what could the ticket sales possibly be? There's like 15 people in the audience. And do the dead people pay more or less? I mean, they're all in premium seats though. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's not a bad seat in the house. If this is doubling as a funeral home for the dead Muppets. I just, I thought about it way too hard. And so I had to share with all of you. I do like that Floyd is emerging as both a main character and a labor organizer. That pleases me. I also, totally separate from that, just there were a lot of like new camera angles in all the backstage stuff and a whole new set. But even in the regular backstage set, it, it all looked funky and I liked it. I love seeing Sam standing in the wings, watching things. And I know we've yeah. seen wing shots before, but there's something about, him in particular, it just, it was like a beautiful shot. Sam and wings just fit. And again, Ooh. I say, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Pressing on. Uh, meanwhile, backstage, Kermit does manage to find one lady wrestler um, for this bill of lady wrestling um, in the form of Granny the Gouger, who speaks in Jerry Nelson's trash heap voice, which is always appreciated. I'm, I I was really underwhelmed. Granny's kind of a terribly built puppet. We see her mostly on the right side of her face, but anytime she turns, mm. you see the left side, and it's a disaster over there. Like they <laughs> they they made a conscious choice to to have her face that way. It seems like, uh, but she seems really last minute, and it and it is a fun character, I guess, if we're buying into this problematic um, plot. Um, but uh, but I, I was I was underwhelmed by her construction, not the her, performance. Her performance arms were fine. weird too. Yeah, there were just tubes with hands. I liked how she had this shawl every time she was on, but when when she got to wrestle at the end, it became like this cape. And then I got worried for her, like no capes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was mauve and crocheted. It, it's it's such a nice like grandma touch. Yeah, very delicate. So Sam has been uh, hovering around the whole show and he's weeping about how there's rock and roll on the show. He's upset about the lady wrestling. Obviously he also interrupts zero Mustel in his dressing room and he interrupts Kermit in some kind of storage closet, which we've never seen before and informs them both that the reason he's here is to keep things morally upright. Uh, Excuse me, Kermit. May I speak with you? Uh, Sure, Sam. What you want? I think you know why I am here. Uh, well, actually, Sam, uh, to tell you the truth, I've never known why you're here. <laughs> it's a really good question, actually. Does yeah, he have I love a job? that that's addressed. I mean, his job, he's, he's a self-appointed keeper of dignity here. Before we move on, I just feel obligated to point out uh, that when... Sam is arguing with Zero, and Zero makes things more and more and more ridiculous to make fun of Sam. He ends up quoting a famous line from Singing in the Rain where he says, dignity, always dignity. And it, it took me like a minute hearing it in this context to place it. Uh, and so if that stuck in your brain and you were trying to place it, now you know. And then he pours a glass of water on the floor and imitates a crow for no reason. <laughs> well, I think he's, I thought he was making fun of Sam because he's a bird. I, I think, yeah. But it's ugh, he eats a yeah. powder puff, you guys. It's true. My, I really that was one of the moments where I was like, "What's wrong with your skin?" But also, this was very funny. Yeah, <laughs> it was really. <laughs> it was yeah. It was actually one of the only zero most elbits I enjoyed. He's my but, favorite uh, Muppet of the week. He's my favorite Muppet monster of the week. He's Z- zero Mustel is zero Mustel is yeah. yeah yeah. It's a good bit. 
so when, when Sam learns the episode will feature lady wrestlers, uh, needless to say, his feathers get rather ruffled. Oh, uh, well, let's see. We got uh, Fozzie is doing a pantomime mm-hmm, with Zero mm-hmm, Mistel. Mm-hmm. We've got a musical number with musical uh, number. Good, good. With Zoot mm-hmm. and Ralph. And then, of course, we mm-hmm. got uh, we got the lady uh, uh, the lady wrestlers. What? Uh, oh, oh, nothing, Sam. It's just uh, we got uh, some lady uh, lady uh, lady wrestlers. Uh, stand by for the pantomime number. They do what? Uh. Uh, lady wrestlers. Rest what? Blurs. <laughs> lady wrestlers? I wish we'd gotten to see that pantomime. I do too, but you know, we've talked about the dead air on the show before, and I kind of appreciate that that we now know that there are numbers we're not seeing and that the stage is not just empty for huge swaths for eight of minutes time. At a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's nice to learn. So this was the UK spot, the scene, apparently. Yes, that is. Yes. So the scene takes place in the prop room and was the UK spot. So, I, which is the first time that's ever happened. Um, and I just, I, this is delightful. I, this is such a great Jim Henson Frank Oz scene. The whole lady, lady, what? I just, I love it. Yeah, that's all. That's all really I'll say about it. Also, the set. I love that we get to the prop room. It made me very happy. Yeah, the UK prop room. I wasn't expecting it. Anyway, Kermit is still looking for uh, another lady wrestler to battle the granny. Uh, he tries to convince Piggy to be granny's wrestling partner. She also goes a bit hog wild. Uh, yeah, well, you see, uh, this is a spot that requires an actress with tremendous strength, yes. uh, versatility, yes. uh, and someone who's all female. Oh, oh, what is it? Uh, Joan of Arc? Uh, no. Not the Marietta? Well, uh, no. Oh, Lady Macbeth. Well, it's more like a lady wrestler. <laughs> wrestler? Uh, well, yeah, it's a, it's the sort of thing where you you, uh, you have to have the ability to. I mean, wrestlers are. Yeah, there was some silence that uh, doesn't quite come across on audio, but that's where Piggy is just slowly fuming and making tiny changes in her face where you can see that she's about to explode, which, you know, always nice to see that. All this leads us to uh, a second instance of drag on The Muppet Show. Have we had more than just Gonzo in the first season? But we've got Kermit as the mysterious... I think Scooter introduces him as Ms. Mask. People were using Ms in 1977 it wasn't too oh, early thanks to candace bergen yeah thanks candace bergen it doesn't take long for granny the gouger to launch him right into statler and waldorf's box i have to thank you all very much on this podcast for ruining the audience shots for me <laughs> <laughs> you're because, welcome because even though i mean when when they cut to the audience who are cheering and going wild for this uh this wrestling match there's still some dead muppets there and i can't not see them now so Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, I also think it's hilarious that the mysterious Miss Mask looks an awful lot like Robin, um, Batman sidekick, because Kermit's in this red outfit with a black mask, and because his appendages are green and he has a black cape, he's straight up Robin. Hmm. I couldn't see anything else. I wonder if that was on purpose. Like, if that's a sort of a subtle tribute. I think you're being generous, David. Well, you better give up, frog. Flat and leave show business. 
did you do to my frog? Hmm? I'll show you! I'd also just like to point out that in that uh, UK closet sketch, uh, Beautiful Day Monster pies Sam in the face for very little reason. So I don't have much to say for all the kerfuffle about lady wrestlers, but if it results in Sam getting pied in the face, I'm okay with that. And, you know, I do appreciate the what and leaf show this becoming a running gag. I don't think it's a running gag. I think it's a callback. Sure. For being sure. technical. <laughs> if we're going to get into semantics. No, no, he's right. We do have, I don't know whether to think of it as a running gag or as just a recurring motif on the Muppet show overall where things catch fire because we've got Gonzo's bugle or trumpet and the cigar coming through the phone. The saxophone blows smoke and animals drums catch fire. Maybe that's why Zero Mustel keeps pouring glasses of water onto the stage. I don't know about y'all. It stresses me out every time there is fire. Yeah, uh, just one more running gag. Uh, Statler and Waldorf have decided they're going to watch television instead of watching The Muppet Show. Not like in some of the contemporary Muppet clips where you see Statler and Waldorf in front of a TV or in front of a computer. Uh, They are sitting in their box, but watching a TV that they have plunked down there. Let's switch channels. This show is dull. You bet. (laughs) What is that? It looks like two ancient old guys sitting in a theater box watching television. That's crazy. No one would watch junk like that. While we're on the topic of callbacks, just a reminder that their first appearance in Mama Show Sex and Violence was them situated in front of a television watching the goings-on of the Muppets. So hmm. uh, it's not just a latter-day thing. It's actually uh, really built into who they are. It's their whole deal, watching stuff. <laughs> So curiously, uh, for an episode with a Broadway star, there's not that much music this week. Uh, And only one of the three songs that we have to talk about features uh, the guest star in question. It is not the first one. The first one is an Electric Mayhem number. If we were to ever switch out our Menomina clip for something else, I'm going to advocate for it being Animal Yelling Chopin. (laughs) Here for it. It's my favorite thing in the episode. It's so great. So, yeah, the Electric Mayhem are filling in for a missing concert pianist who is supposed to be playing uh, Frédéric Chopin's uh, Polonaise in (laughs) A-flat. Uh, It's a very uh, difficult to play piano piece that was written in 1842. Polonaise is literally the French word for Polish. Uh, It's a kind of Polish dance that is done in 3-4. And uh, it's actually traditionally done as the first dance at the Polish equivalent of prom, which I learned a lot of weird things about. In Poland, uh, for their equivalent of high school seniors, a hundred days before their exams, they have this dance that I believe it's pronounced Studenufka? Gesundheit. Thank you. And uh, dance is done for good luck, and also uh, the the girls all wear red underwear, which is also done for good luck. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
Polish prom. Uh, yeah, and Chopin wrote 23 of these uh, bad boys in his lifetime. This is the most famous one. He was Polish himself. And this one's actually referred to quite often as the heroic Polonaise because uh, George Sand, who was uh, Chopin's girlfriend, felt that it embodied the spirit of revolution in France at the time. And uh, it, it's appeared in a lot of different pop culture contexts. It uh, became a hit pop song in the fifties uh, uh, called till the end of time. And Perry Como originally did a Doris day, did a really great version of it. And uh, it's worth noting that like the electric mayhem's version till the end of time is in four, four, not three, four. And uh, it, it's appeared in uh, some other Muppet contexts. Slimy did a more traditional version of it on Sesame street. And uh, Monty Python did a song called Oliver Cromwell to the tune of it. So I think this is very funny. <laughs> I agree. I know sometimes on this show, an electric mayhem number uh, gets poo-pooed a little bit, but this is, this, this one is, it's, it's, I loved it. And for a couple of reasons. First, it actually connects to the plot. Like it gets Sam already riled up, which then, you know, keeps us going for the rest of the the rest of the show. But then I also was thinking about, you know, they look like they're having so much fun. And this is the five main Muppet uh, puppeteers, right? And they're all playing characters that are on a very even level. I mean, Richard Hunt is now finally doing Janice. You can just tell they're having a freaking blast. Um, And I don't even think about the fact that nobody's actually playing an instrument. Nobody's playing live music at all there, but there it's, it's a riot to me. So um, I am pro-Electric Mayhem. I, I think I realize that I like Electric Mayhem best when they're doing their take on a familiar number where they sort of twist it into their genre from something else. So I actually really like this. It's it's when they do either like original songs that I don't particularly care for or when there's like not enough of it specific point of view on the music that I think it gets a little old. Whereas this, like it, it had, it had everything I want from an electric mayhem number. So no complaints. Yeah. Ditto. This feels very lively. I'm not usually one to boo boo the electric mayhem. I understand getting tired of it. And I think that sometimes David has gotten tired of it when there are two mayhem numbers in a single episode. And that is understandable, but I'm, I'm pro mayhem. I have the t-shirt to prove it. t-shirt which was a gift from former guest david bukema but yeah and i I do appreciate that this sets up the plot this is our inciting incident i also appreciate that fozzy tells kermit before they go before the mayhem goes on they are supposed to have a concert pianist playing and fozzy tells kermit that the pianist couldn't make it and he wrote a whole new script and it's one of the cutest things in the episode is fozzy peeking from behind the curtain and wishing kermit good luck the concert pianist could not make it. Yeah, but I just introduced the Polonese. That's okay. Here, here. I, I, I got a whole new intro written. Good luck, kid. Good luck, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have that on a keychain and just press a button and have Fozzie tell me, good luck, kid. Be arranged. Yeah. They make those. Every time they say Polonese, I hear Bolognese, and now I want pasta. Oh, so now that I'm thinking about pasta... Uh... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Let's move on to a number with some uh, delightful Muppet eating in the middle of it. (laughs) 
However do they manage to shed their weedy luck Oh, what do simple folk do? We do not Once along the road I came upon a lad Singing in a voice three times his size Sure that, that's what you clip? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to get both the voices in, and I hate this song, so I wanted to keep it under 30 seconds. Yes. And you can't clip the live dog who doesn't speak, so. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you you captured, so, okay, so to. We can reclip it and edit it back. No, there. that's fine. No. Or you could just keep in this part where you yell at me for clipping the wrong thing. And you can't clip the dance break, or maybe you could. I could have. So to to give some context to this, our guest star Zero Mostel is uh, dressed as uh, King Henry VIII, apparently, with full-bodied queen puppet being performed by a guest performer. So they were auditioning female puppeteers, and uh, the performer, well, actually not the puppeteer, just the voice, was uh, Rashinda Carey, and uh, yeah, her... Diction is appalling. <laughs> Does that I can't get past us, it. <laughs> Does that give us any clue as to which of Henry's wives we think she is? Oh, what a one great that should question. have been killed. <laughs> I mean, she was the one who uh, had trouble getting the butter onto the toast for Twiggy. <laughs> it was... I may have got that wrong because I hated that sketch so much I've erased it from my memory. I just know it had something to do with toast. It is the same puppet from that sketch, I'm fairly sure. No, it is the same puppet. I just don't know what her role was in that sketch. was? Yeah, no, I'm I'm (laughs) waiting. Whether her punishment was beheading. (sighs) Yeah, so we should talk about the actual song instead of me just sighing and talking about what a slog (laughs) it is. So the the song is uh, What Do the Simple Folk Do from Camelot. A uh, Broadway musical from 1960. It's a Learner and Low song. This is our first Learner and Low song on the Muppet Show. Uh, though Learner was previously represented by a Wayne and Wanda bit, he wrote the lyrics to "On a Clear Day." And uh, Camelot was a big deal culturally in the 60s. I suspect that this may have been funnier to people who were familiar both with Camelot and the song and Zero Mostel in the 70s than it is to us. Camelot was a huge hit on Broadway and it uh, starred Julie Andrews and Richard Burton and Robert Goulet. It was Robert Goulet's Broadway debut. And it sort of became part of the the mythos of the 60s because it became inextricably linked with the Kennedy administration thanks to an interview that Jackie Kennedy gave a week after the Kennedy assassination talking about how much her husband loved it and listened to it and how much they associated it with their lives, how much they identified with it. And I also learned that uh, John F. Kennedy and Alan J. Lerner went to Harvard together. I thought that was interesting. Um, I guess, you know, it's funny, we now talk about the Kennedy administration as Camelot. I didn't realize that that title hadn't been applied to that era until after it was over. Yeah. And it was self mythologizing on their part. Yeah. (laughs) And based on a Broadway musical, I I did not like put all those pieces together. So that's interesting. It's more interesting than the sketch. Uh, This song, by the way, was one of the numbers that Julie Andrews and Richard Burton did on the Ed Sullivan show. So it was probably more familiar than some of the other songs from the show because of that. Yeah. That's why the show 
became a, a huge hit quickly is that um, they did a, a few numbers on the Ed Sullivan show prior to them opening and they went in with a huge advance and people loved it. The Kennedys the loved show it. show was bad. Camelot's a bad show. <laughs> oh, okay. I was getting ready to fight about that because yeah. I mean, we have, we have David and I have largely different taste in musical theater and God, Camelot is boring. It has some, it has it some has nice some songs, really but like they never, they never solved the script problems. It does, but this is not one of them. No, 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 no. Like if you think it's boring on the Muppet show, you are right. It is also boring in context. And it's, it's a, like, be, because people love the songs and because it has association with the Kennedys, they like keep rewriting it. They keep bringing it back. It's had, it, there's like a terrible movie version. There's at least two terrible film stage productions. It's just it, every version has like a different configuration of the songs and the script and, and all bad, always bad. <laughs> and there were a lot of 90 minute uh, virtual productions and, and socially distanced uh, productions that happened in the past year and a half. And they still were bad, even at 90 minutes. I don't mean the productions. I mean the show itself, even at 90 minutes. I'm, everyone was very good in them. <laughs> Yeah, I worked on a version many, 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 many years ago that was very illegal that uh, <laughs> that someone tried to fix. And I, I remember actually liking it at the time and thinking and like knowing that, you know, knowing that the director had made changes that he should not have made. Um, friends who work at Concord, don't listen. I mean, it was a really long time ago and I didn't do it. But uh, I yeah, but this song is really boring, like no matter what. <laughs> There's just nothing to be done about it. So and, yeah. it definitely goes on for too long, but also... I dug it overall. Like it's really fun to watch Zero Mostel making faces and taking big kicks. And he's always doing something with his face and his hands. Like it's, it's really just fun to watch him be Zero Mostel. Oh yeah. But the thing is, is he's up against that queen who has the least expressive face. And no neck. She doesn't have eyes. She doesn't have (laughs) eyes or a neck. Yeah. It's just a mouth. And like, I I found the stuff with the food gross and like i know that's part of his shtick but like i didn't like it on the producers either like i just i did like him interacting with muppy they were really cute together they were really cute but we should mention the muppies in it um because we haven't yet um but and muppies in the background and and is honestly the mvp of this number because he does a lot of like reacting to zero dancing and like eating with his vaguely opposable thumbs I did notice that the real dog who replaces Muppy occasionally was like fully the wrong size <laughs> this time for some reason. And so I couldn't even enjoy that. I was just going to say like, and then at one point Muppy licks Zero's face. I was like, wait a minute, that must've been the real dog. Cause I don't think the Muppet dog can lick. Or- no, it does. Muppy. It licks, does? We had a, we had a whole conversation about how Muppy licks Gonzo's nose. Oh, you're right. You're right. In the, in the, butter, then, in the terrible butter sketch. See, I, I have just totally blocked that sketch out of my memory. <laughs> And then Zero licks him back. Yeah. That's, I mean, Zero, I, he must have also known that this song is garbage because he just mugs and plays with props and throws things. He jumps over the live dog at one point, and I fear for that dog's life. It's are we early sure, on. Are we sure it was Zero Mostel jumping? Because like they did a weird angle change, and you see him from the back as he jumps. I'm guessing it was not him, given that he was having mobility issues at that point in his life. Oh, but we also I, see him. I leave, don't know so. about that. Uh, it looks like he, he he made a choice in the moment. That's what he seems like he does in a lot of this episode. Yeah. Like with the water and the props, they just kind of went, well, it's funny. I guess we'll let him do it. But he's just throwing fire around 
And I don't know if that was supposed to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I wonder if they were disappointed that they had already used comedy comedy tonight in season one Mm. or like if he just really wanted to do this number. I mean, this song is brutal. Camelot is brutal, but at least zero decides to do something with it. Uh, And Muppy has a good time. And our, our poor friend, I guess, didn't get hired on the Muppet show. She did not pass. She did not get a callback. She did not. Uh, what's hilarious to me about this is that next season on the Pearl Bailey episode, the whole plot is about the Muppets not being able to afford the rights to the music from Camelot. <laughs> right. But also the so, whole joke is that the, what they wind up doing is not actually Camelot. So like well, that's right, part they of the, substitute other songs. It's a, right. It's a, it's a meta, it's a meta joke. Maybe they learned their lesson. They couldn't make payroll because they paid the rights for this song. Oh, that's there you funny. go. Also, in my little rabbit hole of Muppets and Camelot research, I found that uh, at one point in the 90s, right before Muppets from Space came out and was the biggest flop of the Muppets career and therefore <gasps> tanked all their plans, uh, they one of the follow-up movies that was supposed to happen was a Muppets and Camelot movie. Although it was, it's not clear if a full script was ever written or if it was only like a treatment that never made it past that stage because Muppets from Space lost so much money. And it's also not clear if that was like a Muppets version of the musical Camelot or just uh, the Muppets doing Arthurian legend. But uh, or the Muppets in the Kennedy administration. Perhaps. (laughs) I mean, they made it happen on the Simpsons. I just want to stick up for Muppets in Space very briefly. Oh, I love Muppets from Space. It just lost a lot of money. No, I understand. I just want to very briefly stick up for it. Michal. Oh, and I wanted to find out whether my recollection of the Muppets doing something Camelot-like on The Simpsons was only existed in my memory. But no, they they reference briefly a fictional Muppet movie with Troy McClure called The Muppets Go Medieval. Oh, yeah. I remember that. But it was not specifically Muppet Camelot. So our last number of the episode is a Zoot and Ralph duet. So this is a joke that only works if you know what the song is. Uh, which the song is very famous. So it's uh, smoke gets in your eyes. Uh, and what, what happens is that Zoot has uh, smoke coming out of a saxophone and it gets uh, more and more uh, obnoxious. And the song dates back to 1933 to a musical called Roberta. It was written by Jerome Kern and Otto Harbach. And uh, it's been recorded several times. Uh, The two big hit versions, the first one uh, from 1934 was a Paul Whiteman and his orchestra version. And actually the the very first uh, recording of it prior to that uh, was uh, by a singer named Gertrude Neeson. And uh, the orchestra was directed by noted cousin of noted Joe Raposo Stan, Frank Sinatra, Ray Sinatra. (laughs) So, uh, that's a fun bit of trivia. Um, I, I would say most people nowadays are probably more familiar with the 1958 version of the song by the platters. Uh, 
uh, which was a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 and a number three hit on the R&B charts. Although we are have left Wayne and Wanda for the most part in season one, I'm grateful that we're still going for the super literal Muppet joke. Like it's it is this seems like it would be a Wayne and Wanda joke, but we get it for longer. And Zoot's reaction to the to the smoke pouring out is just awesome because I love a Muppet literal joke. I mean, earlier in the episode, Animal is told to get the door and he literally pulls it off its hinges. It's pretty uh, fantastic. It is so good. The sound effect is great. And he, he, not only does he pull it off, but he just dumps it at Kermit's feet and then, <laughs> and walks away. Like he, he's, he did his job and he moved on. Uh, so I actually loved this. In the year 2021, I, I don't especially want to see Muppets coughing as much as Muppets cough in this sketch, but <laughs> <laughs> in general, it is, it would be funny in other years, presumably. If you do like this song, Roberta was made into a film with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and it's a great film if you like classy musicals from the 30s. It's one of the films that cycles on and off of HBO Max all the time, so keep your eye out for it. I highly recommend it. I especially love this because of how great the musicianship is. I mean, again, I know that Ralph and Zoot aren't actually playing. (gasps) (sighs) Sorry to rip the wool from your eyes or the felt from your eyes, but, uh, or maybe you don't have eyes at all. Maybe you're just a mouth and no neck, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, 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 the actual performances of the song are, uh, so engaging on their own that even without the joke, it's a joy to watch. Never mind that jazz. Listen, Turkey. What? And get out of show business. <laughs> I'm so glad that this segment has all of those names. All right, let's talk about some of the sketches <laughs> in this episode. We've got uh, At the Dance, which for some reason is tennis themed. Nobody knows why. There's a lot of fire in this episode, so perhaps one of the writers just decided to strike a match. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, there's also a. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lady, whatnot, Muppet, who looks. A lot like Clifford. I don't remember ever seeing her before or again. I mean, I'm sure she appears elsewhere on the show. They wouldn't only use her in one at the dance, but it was just a strange face to see on a whatnot and at the dance. But we also get these two adorable tennis balls. Like everybody's telling terrible tennis jokes, um, but the tennis balls get the best line. Uh, what'd you do today? You spent the day in court. Just so They're cute. my favorite. They're, They're very little, cute. They have little beady eyes. And they That's just all they are. They just stuck, they literally just stuck eyes on tennis balls. That's all that they did. And they're and, so cute. They're so cute. And they just spent the day in court. <laughs> it's also a different set. And I find it unnerving. Yeah, it's weird. There's also like, there's a, there's a couple that feels like it should be a loud lady bit, mm. and, but it's not the loud lady and it's not funny. And I was very disappointed. Yeah. Bring back the set and bring back the loud lady. Bring I mean, back George and Mildred. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned before on this podcast, probably that one of uh, the excellent pages at Muppet Wiki is just a catalog of all the dancers who appear in at the dance and which episode they appear in. And so a lot of the dancers that we see in this episode are making their first appearance, but will go on to be in more episodes. 
I think that was that was the biggest shock because I, I do really love the at the dance segment and they're like, we're doing something new. We're going to put a whole bunch of new dancers in here and we're going to give it a theme. And the theme, because they're always very terrible jokes, but when you put a bunch of terrible jokes on the same theme back to back to back, it just feels like I'm reading out of like a kid's joke book and I'm on like the tennis chapter and then I'll read bad jokes about basketball. And then, so it, it, it I'm, I'm glad they ditch it later because it, it feels feels like not the right move. Meanwhile, in Muppet Labs, we've got the first appearance of Beaker, which is very exciting. And Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is just acting as though Beaker has always been there and has always been his assistant. And I'm fine with this. Uh, they've invented magnetic carrots uh, and Beaker attempts to wrangle them. He gets uh, the carrots stuck to a machine. He gets punched by a magnetic rabbit. It's lots of fun. It feels like a very fun and straightforward Muppet Labs sketch. I thought the Beaker thing was really interesting. And and so yesterday, as we're recording this, many weeks ago, as you're hearing it, a listener asked us on Twitter what we thought of Muppets Now, the, the newish um, Disney Plus series. Um, and I did not care for it, which we don't need to get into. But one of the things that I responded to, which I did not say on Twitter, is that a lot of it felt like it was really for kids, which is great. Not everything has to be for me. But then a lot of it also felt like it was playing on nostalgia, especially actually the Bunsen and Beaker sketches. And and so I was I didn't really understand who it was for because I was like, well, this is for small children, but but they don't know who these characters are. So so what's happening? And so uh, I guess this is me saying that I was wrong because Beaker just appears on this episode out of nowhere, much the way that he does on Muppets Now, if you are a small child. And um, I, I, I just actually found that really interesting that he is, he is just, and actually I guess Bunsen did in season one too. It's just like, here you go. Um, and I, mean, I what, what kind of a backstory are you looking for? Like, well, you need to know I mean, where Beaker grew up and what his childhood. No, was but like just like, this is, this is my assistant. I mean, it's literally like, there's, he's just there, and yeah. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I thought it was really interesting. I'm also curious when we get to what the first aired episode with Beaker is, like if they actually swapped some stuff around, and that will be a sketch with a, with more of an intro. But it, it likely isn't, right? They likely were like, people will get this. It's fine, <laughs> and and I'm just I'm just overthinking. I'm coming to something like Muppets now with 40 years of baggage and overthinking it. And but also sitcoms in the seventies and eighties just did not care about continuity, which is why if you ever watch the golden girls in close succession and try to like keep track of how many kids each of them have and what their names are and who plays them, right. you will go absolutely bonkers because it's impossible because the writers didn't care. Right. True. But yeah, anyway, Beaker appears out of nowhere and yeah, he's, and he's always been there and <laughs> He gets bonked by this uh, magnetic rabbit and then uh, pops back up with these scrambled eyes pointing different ways, which is just precious. I love the robot rabbit. It's adorable. As was last season's robot gorilla. I think maybe I just really love Muppet robot animals. Okay. Let's talk about the fears of zero. So this is, it's not a comedy sketch. It's not a song. It's not a recurring bit. It is a poem written by Jerry Jewell for Zero Mustel. And he sits in uh, what the Muppet Wiki refers to as a lugubrious library, and I certainly can't top that. And he's naming all of his fears, which take the form of little monsters and other scurrying things so that he can count them, compel them, and quickly dispel them. The elevators falling, and the tax 
man someday calling and the accidental warming of myself <laughs> up inside a clammy, dank, old, dingy cellar where the spiders weave around my tummy and the worms and bugs and crawly things squirm and squiggle at my first. Oh, 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 I love it! Once they are counted and compelled, they can quickly be dispelled. So in every verse of this poem, he's holding his finger up to the camera and as he talks about the fears being counted and compelled and dispelled, he does this freaky wiggly thing with his finger. I don't know what kind of double jointed you need to be to wiggle his finger the way that he does. And then he makes this sound when he says that they can be dispelled. Um, This is all very well until his biggest fear appears in the form of a Muppet monster named Timmy monster uh, who holds up his finger and does this to zero Mostel and dispels zero who vanishes. And I know some people are creeped out by this or think it goes on too long, which it does go on a little bit, but oh man, I've loved this sketch for a really long time. I think that I used it as an audition piece in high school and everyone around me was very confused, (laughs) but uh, I dig it. Oh, and I want to appreciate that Shaky Sanchez uh, represents his fear of missing the last train, which if, if more of my anxiety dreams about missing trains and planes would take the form of Shaky Sanchez, that would uh, make them more pleasant to endure. Zero also says he has a fear of losing his hair and then he pulls his toupee off. Yeah. And, and I, I, first of all, I think it's very funny, but I was so appreciative because I was staring at that hair most of the show going, <laughs> it can't be real. It can't, no way. <laughs> and, and I'm glad that he, you know, he deigned us uh, with revealing that it is indeed not real. I did not care for the sketch. I found it just, I don't know. I, I had a hard time concentrating on it. I just like, the minute he starts with the poetry, I just sort of tune out and I like these monsters. I especially like Timmy monster, but I, I just uh, was not engaged by it. That's so interesting. I had, no, I had the exact same problem and, and I thought it was a me problem. And right. Like, Cause I watched the episode twice and, and just like zoned out both times. And then Michal, you asked for a specific clip and like I went to make the clip and I did it again. Like I had to go back to get the clip and then I had to edit the clip and I was just like, Oh God, it's just like going in one ear and out the other. And yeah, I, it's, it's some of the, some of the, like the smaller monsters that I specifically called out in the Vincent Price episode as loving so much. And I just, I find it so dreary. Yeah. I'm with you guys. It, it just washed over me for some reason. And this is this is the other moment when I actually just found Mustel hard to watch, which again is nobody's fault, but it just meh. Personally, I would have made this the UK sketch, but I know that that's disrespectful to the guest star, so they would never do that. Right. It is a bit. I think that he also plays up the weariness uh, as part of the sketch, even though yes, he is he's looking a bit pale and unsteady. I think the unsteadiness is part of it, but yeah, I, I can understand all those things. This has just been, this sketch has been part of me for a long time. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to crap on it. I just, That's okay. I won't tell zero must tell. <laughs> Do we have anything don't, else? Don't tell Shaky Sanchez and we're okay. <laughs> Every time we say his name, I feel like we're committing a hate crime. It is a little bit not okay. I actually thought, I thought that was, um, 
that was the Wimbles of My Mind guy uh, until just now, because I did not read the wiki. And I'm a little disappointed, to be honest. Um, I don't know whether to call this a, a sketch or a, a musical number, but there's a quick bit where Animal also just has a drum solo, which we, we discussed earlier. Uh, Animal plays drums until they catch fire and miraculously does not catch fire himself. I guess the episode was 25 seconds short. <laughs> well, I wonder if instead of doing the blackout sketches like they did in season one, if we'll see more of these little right. quick bits. It's cute. I'm always a fan of Animal. And there's definitely uh, uh, a lot of duct tape on that snare drum, whether that's holding the fire in place or it got destroyed in another take. Um, That's what an HD transfer will do. (laughs) Amazing. I bet it is holding the the pyro element on. I didn't catch that. I'm going to have to go back and look at it. At some point, we're going to need to get someone who works with Henson onto this podcast just to ask them questions about how do they launder the Muppets? How do they keep them from catching on fire? That's all I want to talk about. (laughs) I bet we could get you those people. I mean, I'm sure the rules were different. Like I remember. Well, listen, it was the seventies. Like, well, they wanted to just burn them all down. They could, but I also think they had, I'm just thinking some interest in not catching on fire. Yeah. I just think of like, you know, when I, when I was a stage manager and like, at least in some states, like if if a character smoked a cigarette on stage or like you know touched a candle in any way, their costume had to be treated with this like probably horribly carcinogenic fireproofing chemical, and it's like you know that people smoke cigarettes without lighting themselves on fire every day, <laughs> all the time, but because you're doing it on stage, you have to fireproof the costume. Um, and so I, I sort of assume that like that would be going on with Muppets, but, um, but also it was the seventies. So probably not. Well, we have come to the end of going through sketch by sketch, but does anyone have final thoughts about this episode? I think we've gotten to, uh, all of my uh, favorite Muppet of the week and such and such, except for there is a, a Muppet, not exactly body horror moment of the week, but at the end, Statler and Waldorf get electrocuted by their television and, Nobody needs to see that. I found it very disturbing. Well, what do you think of television? Shocking, isn't it? Boo. I mean, serves them right for being so rude in the theater. (laughs) But also, no, you're right. It was upsetting. All right. Well, before we go, Ben, uh, I hear you have some stuff you might want to plug. Oh, do I? Um, oh boy! So uh, I have this show called Cam and Ben Sing Songs. Uh, it's a it's a series for kids and families. Um, it's four to six minute original sketches and songs, uh, and we sing about feelings and compassion and problem solving. You know, there are a lot of people in the uh, the young educational space talking about like letters and numbers and that purple is a color and that's cool and we're really excited they're doing that but we do things and we're trying to make a more empathetic and uh, humble human being in the show cam is human guitarist uh ben is me uh but it's a henson style puppet of myself um because my wife is awesome and got me a puppet of myself Mm. for a birthday once which was fantastic um so if you want to check out any of our stuff or there are young people in your life uh you can go to cam and ben sing songs.com we're on all the social things at cam and ben songs all the videos are on youtube or our website the songs are on spotify or wherever you stream music uh and if you care about a human version of me 
uh, for acting stuff, directing stuff, whatever, uh, you can visit benliebert.com or uh, on the socials. I'm at glorious underscore idiot. Um, and yes, I, I still have lots of friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to add my endorsement. I have watched many of the Kevin Bensing songs videos and recommended them to some of the little people in my life. They are delightful. Ben, oh, thanks thank so much you. for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And can I nerd out for a second? Please and, do. Uh, and tell y'all how much I enjoy this show. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy who like finishes a movie and then instantly goes to IMDb for trivia. Uh, cause I just want more. Um, but this show totally blows that out of the water. It is, it is such a joy. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. And thanks for adding thanks to for it. Coming. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week to discuss the Milton Berle episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, and I hope you do since you're still listening, please tell people about us. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Lim. I would love to see Piggy in a little pillbox hat. Try, trying to put Kermit's felt back into his head. Oh. You can cut that. I just no. had to say. No, you don't cut it. Leave it in. Oh. Uh. Back into the left. I don't know. Um. <laughs>